0: Welcome to Speakers Corner, and Wom Adelaide. I am Brennan. Thank
1: you. Thank you. It'd be great if you guys yeah, want please to, come to the front. If you want to come to the front, that'd be awesome. I think they want us to use microphones because the they're recording anyway. But
0: so don't be shy.
1: Otherwise, we wouldn't even need to use microphones. That's
0: right. But we'll just talk amongst ourselves.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had the pleasure on of uh, chatting. ..late last year to Shirley Collins, the legendary UK folk singer. And this is a woman who had actually stopped singing... ..hadn't released an album for 40 years. And she was concerned at the age of 80 of putting her voice to tape. She said, I just sound like an old woman. But she remembered something. She travelled with Alan Lomax and she gathered folk tunes. And she suddenly realised that the the, the voices the voice that she'd be adding is the very voice that drew her to folk music, capturing these forgotten songs, hearing people in a natural setting, field recordings, I guess they're called. And it really represents an authentic voice in a sea of homogenisation. And I see this is an area that you're moving in, capturing those moments. Talk to me about how you see the music machine has just become something that's entirely <laughs> out of control yeah. in the way it represents what we, we know as music.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's a good example what you're using as far as the, the age of the voice and the way people view ageing, obviously, and, and the fact that capitalism pushes forth youthfulness so much as, as uh, some sort of ideal. And in fact, yeah. when you talk about most musical traditions, there's a reverence for experience and for for a deepening of that. And recorded music is beautiful. I'm not really anti-anything. I love recorded music. But uh, I think we don't examine uh, often enough the good and bad of it. And and we have a lot of basic assumptions that we're awash in. um, So much so that we've begun to impose them on other cultures, meaning non-English speaking cultures as well. And therefore, I mean, my book is called How Music Dies. Music doesn't die, but it does stagnate. And we are in a very stagnant period relative to the explosive creativity of the the mid-20th century that was largely created by recording. Um, But now we're kind of at the tail end of having just too much uh, past and too much that's fixed in place. And you see that the music my father listened to was radically different than the music his father listened to. His father hated the music he listened to. The music I listened to was radically different than the music my father listened to. He hated the music I listened to. But most kids now are listening to their parents' or grandparents' music. They're literally listening, in many cases, to the exact same things. So I think that's not a bad thing necessarily, but it's something that we, we should examine.
0: There was a group that came out, I think, in the 80s called Pop Will Eat Itself and they <laughs> it sort of sums it up in many ways. There's this looking to the past and it catches up. You know, there was bands that were into the 60s and then slowly they're almost getting into music that came out last week. I want to talk to you about music. I started by suggesting, perhaps it was rude of me, that you were a musical obsessive. But music's been a very, very big part of you from a very young age, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, no, I don't think that's rude at all. I mean, I think, I think um, probably... Many of the people here at the festival are, are, you know, music is a huge part of their lives and a lot of times what we're talking about are uh, issues of people just not caring enough about music. And I think that pop culture has contributed largely to that, that it's become music, it's become wallpaper, it's become background music, it's used to sell things. and it's emptied of its meaning, which is already very empty oftentimes to begin with and very abstract. And I think that it's damaging to us culturally and intellectually when language is used so promiscuously, when words like love are thrown around and genius are thrown around. And and I think the big lie of, of, of the commercial music industry is that um they that so many people have talent. It's this idea of heroic authorship and, and genius and that some people are so good that we're supposed to spend the rest of our lives listening to just them and everything they release. And I think that's not true. And I, I, I feel that artists that have been around for more than one or two records should be held to a higher level, not a lower level of standards. You know. And instead what you get is every time a classic artist releases a record, the whole machine kicks into place, they spend millions of dollars making a record, and we're told it's gonna be the comeback record, and it's the comeback record over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And it never is uh, a, you know, a, a reclaiming of their former greatness, and, and it probably never will be, and it probably never should be. What they should do is they should just stop making records and let other people be heard. And so I think that's where the system begins to fail. Um, and and I believe those same people should, you know, continue to make music and and, and make it available for free because they don't need to make any more money and just put it up on their website, and if somebody's an obsessive and wants exhaustively to hear every take of everything they've ever done, the internet allows that, but but in general, we need less, not more music.
0: This is an area I want to explore a little later, but certainly what you've just said makes absolute sense because what has happened now is we've, just got more and more music coming out because we've got these people that won't go away and we've got new people layering on top of that to a a, it's exhausting I I see the amount of releases that, that, that come in each week and I think back even 30 years ago and you just see this wedge is growing wider and wider of this consumable product that people expect you to listen to and you just can't
1: yeah, I mean, it, it, the idea is that the more of it there is, the more diversity there'll be. But, but there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of a contradiction there. It's, it's uh, somewhat counterintuitive. But when you look at the early days of the Internet, um, the late 90s, there were very few websites. But the likelihood that any two people in this room were looking at the same websites on the same day was very small. There might be an overlap of one or two. Now there's more websites than there's ever been, but almost everybody in this room is looking at a lot of the same websites every day. And the same thing has happened musically, is that in a time where people could be listening to more voices than ever before, they're listening to fewer than ever before. And I'll give you an example of that. In in America, um, they, and this is a non-commercial body, a huge national body, put out their top 100 albums of 2016. And number one was Beyonce and number two was her sister. So what are the odds that the two best records of the year were from the same family? Nothing against the family, nothing against either of them. Um, Two sisters released by the Sony Corporation put out the best music of the entire year. And this is according to the people that are supposed to be providing a platform for non-commercial music. That's scary.
0: Your I- obsessiveness if we would call it that with music was it you wanted to play was it you were just keen to hear everything or all of those things
1: well I mean I think it's all of those things uh, the it's you know music I think in many cases will choose someone or art or or other occupations uh, rather than you choosing it and um, it was just something I wanted to be part of but i From the very beginning, I was never concerned about authorship. I was concerned about contribution. uh, Because I think that, as a producer, the role is to be invisible to the process. Um, It's not the only way to do it, but it's the way that I like to do it. And the reality is, is that I am invisible and I will be invisible and I'll be forgotten anyway by the two people that know who I am to begin with. So why would I care? Um, What I care is to put out music that maybe makes one person's life better and the beautiful part of recorded music is that might be after i'm dead that might be in 30 years and it might be completely anonymously and it might be somebody misapprehending a recording and not even understanding what it was and thinking it was in french when it was actually in romanian and it influences them and makes their life better for three minutes i think that's the goal that we should have beyond that uh, I think making millions and making money and, and, and grandiosity is is unhealthy.
0: You've worked with many artists and we could probably spend the whole hour talking about, s- you know, from behind the production desk to producing live shows, people like Mel Haggard, who I love, people like Nels Klein, they're just two names I'll pull out of the hat. But there was a point at which y- you were looking at the volume of music, at the sea of the same kind of young indie kids with guitars, whether it be in LA or Melbourne or Brooklyn, that were pumping out the same stuff. And there's a point at which you suddenly said, uh, no. Do you remember that point or was it a slow creep?
1: Well, I mean, I I, I think it's a slow slow creep. It was, um, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, I was still putting out a lot of my own music and uh, the free weeklies exploded at that time in America. And therefore, you know, they would review a certain number of records every week. And every week there was the promise that this was the next great thing. And, and in those days you had to spend 10 to $20 to find out whether it was, not tr- was true or was not true. And most of the time it wasn't true. And, and, uh, and it was rarely bad. It was just usually very mediocre. And I just became very tired of... Two guitars, bass, drums, white guys singing in English, and uh, you know it, it was already p- pretty exhausted at that point. And um, then I, I became more and more interested in international music as a result of that. And I feel like one of the last musical frontiers is language because it's so unexplored. And and we talk about in America, there's now approximately a hundred thousand releases a year, albums. Um, most countries in the world. Fairly released and promoted, there are zero. If you extrapolate that over a, out over a ten-year period, that's not a million to one. That's a million to zero. It's indefensible. It's it's non-democratic, and and uh, I I. But we don't think about it because we're just so used to it. Obviously, I'm I'm American. I'm an English speaker, and and you know so I I benefit from it to some degree. But but I think it's not healthy. And uh, when on the way here in Abu Dhabi. Uh, in the airport, you know, one of the world's big airports, I was waiting for the plane, the connecting plane to come to Australia, and the Eagles came on. Uh, you know, it's incredible. You know, a song from 40-something years ago comes on, and uh, is recognizable to myself, but I think a lot of other people there. And it really shouldn't be. Um, the odds that, that a musician from Egypt would come on uh, in any major airport in America are very, 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 very slim.
0: What was the Eagles song?
1: I don't even remember. They're all the same, aren't Uh, they?
0: Well, I was thinking if it was Hotel California, you can check out (laughs) any time. you (laughs) like never leave. Sort of sums it all up, doesn't it? Uh, Another very important part of your life is your work with conflict resolution. Tell me how... Because really, music is the wonderful connect to social repair and, and, and health. Tell me how you came to work in the social work environment?
1: Well, I mean, I I, I had to work, I had to do something. Um, I unfortunately was, uh, you know, w- exposed to the quote, the jazz quote that is kind of attributed to no one and everyone, which is that if you don't make it by the time you're 18, you'll never make it. So as a kid, I I really took that to heart and I did become obsessive and I would practice, you know, instead of sleeping and i really felt like if i ever had to do anything for a living other than playing music that i would have failed and and when i turned 18 i had to support myself somehow and and uh so the only thing that interested me other than music was working in psychiatry and uh so i began to do that and because i was a male and because i was fairly strong average strength whatever uh they they hired me. I would work night shift for no money. And, and, uh, and so I, I I just learned as I went. And, but for me, music is, is social work. And I, I think that, you know, you look at someone like Michael Jackson, um, you know, huge impact, you know, maybe as big an impact as almost any politician, James Brown, you know, could be the correspondent to Malcolm X, and, and, and Michael Jackson could be the correspondent to Martin Luther King, so to speak, and on and on and on. So, I I I I believe it it does heal people and and when you listen to love songs and and the the theme of love songs, usually it's about loss. There's very few songs that celebrate love, um, and I think that that's pretty good evidence that people do seek it out as a, as a form of of uh, catharsis and a form of healing.
0: Did you experience in your work how music soothed or helped people that were? dealing with difficulties?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, my own sister has Down syndrome, and uh, I can tell you that, that if you want to see the best dancers in the world, meaning the most free and creative, you don't go to Cuba or Africa, go to a rec center uh, on a Friday night when there's a dance w- with uh, people that are quote unquote disabled. And they are, in general, in my experience, which is my whole life, as free as anybody I've ever seen. Um, and one of the best songs I've ever heard written was written by a guy that was in Oakland a war veteran uh, that was a really good artist, sketch artist, um, quite violent and quite psychotic but he wrote one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard called Water which is kind of ironic because it's raining right now but um, and no one will ever hear it and and, that, and that's a, a tragedy in a way and, and that's Largely my belief is that almost everybody has one good song in them and also most people only have one good song in them. And that's why they should make one record and go away and, and do something else. And we should have a socialist system where they are, are paid to not make records.
0: <laughs> my guest is I'm Brennan who's here at WOMADelaide Adelaide uh, curating the Hanoi Masters and we'll talk about them in just a moment. But there's a term I'd heard before, I heard your term, which I like even better, in electronic music, where they talk about embracing the error. And I think this is when, you know, the, the system glitches and crashes, they were incorporating some of those sounds into uh, and coming up with a new language, supposedly, with their music. But uh, you've turned that on its head in a different way, and I'm trying to think now, because of my, as I've said before, I should have been a doctor. Uh, you've said, turn up the... What was it you said? Turn
1: up the mistakes. Turn up
0: the mistakes. Yeah, Thank yeah, yeah. You. Turn up the mistakes. Tell me the importance of turning up the mistakes.
1: Well, I mean, I think that uh, you, you, people in general, we it's hard to know ourselves, and the things that people disown are often their greatest strengths. Um, that's where a producer can come in, is to help an artist get out of their own way, uh, to give them the, the freedom and the support, uh, and also... I, to call it objectivity is a very dangerous thing, but greater objectivity than they might be able to achieve themselves in, in, in seeing themselves. And recognizing that a lot of the greatest inventions in the history of mankind were accidents, searching for one thing, finding another. And and in music, uh, some of the most beautiful moments are the mistakes. And I think in live environments, I, I, I would imagine quite a few people here probably share this, that some of the most memorable moments you'll see in a live environment is when something goes wrong. You can go see a show that's perfect for two hours and you won't probably remember anything other than it was okay, it was good, it was, you know, I liked it. Um, but, you know, when the power goes out and somebody's forced to deal with that or when something occurs that's unexpected for the individual, I, I, I think you'll forever, you'll forever remember that. And... uh So I I believe that there's a big mistake in our culture to micromanage everything. And I think technology has only contributed to that to a greater degree, that people are are obsessed with trying to perfect things that are imperfect as opposed to accepting what is around them and learning from it.
0: And that, in a way, plays into something along the lines of what you said about the, the chap who wrote the water track about... ...capturing or trying to capture moments that probably are best not captured. And that falls into that sort of uh, pattern as well. I'm thinking of families that get together and sing. I'm thinking of capturing moments. And and, and you would imagine the Malawi Mouse Boys who had no electricity, who had no TV. They just sat around and performed. They sang. And each performance was a unique event. So, it's hard to then try and, in the process you've been doing, to capture those moments. And, and and create something that is honest and true. How do you do that?
1: Well I don't know. I mean I, I think y- you you just trust the process enough that you are willing to compromise and willing to improvise and, and and to not have a plan A and a plan B and be willing to immediately forfeit them and know that uh the best stuff will always come when it's not supposed to. So I learned a long time ago to never tear down the equipment because musicians will play their best music when the recording's over. Um, because that's when they're no longer inhibited. And to try to get them to record that stuff is always hard. It's always, they'll always say, oh, uh, what's that? Oh, uh, it's just something I was just messing around. What's that? Oh, it's the first song I wrote. It's nothing. What's that? Oh, it's just uh, you know some song my mother used to sing me. It's like, that is. A 1,000 times better than anything we've been doing for the last week. Mm. And, it, 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 and it gets lost usually. And so, um, you know, I, I think if you can get people to trust enough to experiment, not in an experimental way, but just to try things that don't have to work and be willing to fail, good things can come from that. Bad things can come from it too, but bad things will come anyway.
0: Tell me, and I like that you used the term international music earlier because I find the terminology of world music one that is a little hard for me to, to come to terms with. I like the, 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 the use of international music. Tell me how it was you decided to pursue that. What was the first project you worked on in the international realm?
1: Yeah, I mean, international music, I've been in the live environment working w- on it since the, with it since the 90s, doing shows that were trying to be... Reviews where people would not play full sets and, and where the music would be continuous and 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 having as much diversity as possible musically and otherwise um, But the first major recording was uh, in Rwanda uh, My wife is Italian Rwandan and we went back with her mother uh, Marlene Delli does all the my wife does all the videos and all the photos for the projects Which are probably as important if not more important than the music in the modern era and they're in the book, a lot of the photos, and um, we went there and we wanted to record music from Rwanda, and and we were issued a challenge uh, inadvertently by a world music expert, a term I don't like either, who was really adamant that, that people in Rwanda were not good musicians, and even worse, he said they were good dancers, but not good musicians. I mean, just incredibly. You know, I mean, wrong and so on, so many levels, what he was saying. And uh, we fortunately went there, and, and, and it took quite some time, but we met the good ones. And, and I believe that Adrian Kazagira from the good ones is probably one of the best post Dylan Roots writers in the world. Uh, unfortunately, he sings in Kenya, Rwanda, and so therefore he's categorized as world music rather than roots music. And he's uh, kind of you know left within his own borders of of 13 million people as opposed to being shared with the world because if he had a cowboy hat and and uh was from nashville he'd be you know famous within that genre you know famous within the genre of the steve earls and lucinda williams of the world um and i i think that that's that's a tragic thing so that led us to continue to try to go to countries that were underrepresented, languages that were underrepresented, which led to the Malaya Mouse Boys and, and Chichewa, which is such a beautiful language. Uh, the BBC uh, listed it once as the second most musical language after Italian. And, uh, and we've, just, we've just gone on from there to do what we can. I
0: know you worked with Tenera One. And there seems in recent years to be this real explosion of people excited about Tuareg guitar music. Is there a danger in the music machine recognising this and suddenly making a grab and pushing it a bit like it, albeit in an underground sense, because it's not going to get played on commercial radio. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Is there a danger in bringing this to light and then suddenly it being exploited?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's always a danger in commercialising music. Music should be free. A democratic musical system would be stream sound. No names, no photos, just sound. So everything would just be out there. You'd listen to it and you'd either like it or not like it. And you would have no idea who was making that music. Instead, we have the opposite system. We have people, very common phenomenon as you go places. And when music began to be recorded, that took music from being an event to being a thing, an object. With video, it only intensified that to a nuclear level. And now what you see is you go places and people are watching music videos with the sound off. Terrifying.
0: I'm interested in that point, talking about music without any introduction, without any, and you're just hearing it. So it's like you're just intersecting this piece. You're never going to hear it again. There's probably a part of you that says, like, I would be saying, who is it? I want to know who it is. But it reminds me of a story of the great, uh, Indigenous artist Kev Carmody, and he spoke about an experience in the bush of listening to ABC radio and experiencing a track one night set against the backdrop of the the sounds of the bush and the fireplace. And he said he was realising that he was hearing something he could never listen to that song again in the same way. He was experiencing a moment. And I feel that we've become hell-bent on capturing the moment rather than enjoying the moment you'll see out here people will be up there with their cameras and watching it through their telephone rather than actually watching the concert and i think that's a bit of a problem
1: well i mean i think technology like everything it does, it's it's n- has good things and it has bad things and and uh, I, it's it's not to be a luddite it's just to say that it's not going to save us you know we still have our reptilian stem and that's what we're not we're not dealing with and what we're not dealing with are our emotions and music is one of the greatest empathy building devices there can be but it's now used for quite the opposite it's used to distance people and to desensitize people and to entrain people so that the music becomes almost invisible because it's all the same and to say it's all the same is not old fogyism. to say it's all the same means it's four four time on a grid auto-tuned perfected and most of the great music that is timeless, and I think the best music comes from within the individual, not from outside the individual. Um, most of that music is, is something that that is based on errors, is based on something that was done wrong. Somebody who sang flat, somebody who sang sharp, somebody whose timing was weird, two musicians in a band that kind of played against each other rather than with each other. Um, those are elements that, that are being lost as things be begin to be you know, straightened out. And there's this idea that that it's going to make everything perfect. Well, no, it, it, it doesn't. And and, you know, w- there's this idea, too, in a commercialized society that everything is outside us. You have to buy it. It's outside you. So music is something you have to buy an object to do. You can only do it at certain times of day. Um, you can only do it in certain places. And that's not the way music should be. It used to be that the exceptional family member was the one who did not play music. That was the weirdo. Now the exceptional family member is the one who supposedly plays music. But in many cases, what that means is that they play guitar really badly. They play G, C, D on a guitar, and that's all they know. One, four, five. And so I. I think that that we're, you know, losing something in that, and again, in that standardization. And and it it creates mediocrity, um, and maybe that's comforting to some, but we're losing a lot of the edges. But ultimately, music at its best is performed for free. In other words, it's performed for the sake of playing music. And with Tanerwan, an interesting thing is that they, when we recorded in the desert, they play music from the morning they get up till the morning they go to bed, which is basically pre-dawn till two or three in the morning, somebody is playing music. And it's not always them, it's oftentimes their friends, or family, the person that's there cooking. But those instruments, which weren't very many, uh, are, were some of the most played instruments I'd ever seen in my life. And because of that, that's why they can be so in- inconsistent in a live environment, because it's very foreign to them That, oh, it's 8.29, so now I've got to go on and play for 45 minutes on that stage and be really good now. (laughs) I was really good this morning, you know, because this morning I felt like playing. Um, And I'll probably be really good about the time I'm supposed to go off stage, maybe. So on a given night, they're amazing because maybe it just happens to coincide with when they're feeling like playing music. But this idea that they've got to do it now and it's got to fit in this box is really foreign, and I think it should be foreign. I think it should be foreign to the experience. I mean, we understand why it exists, but but at the same time, it's it's one way of making music. It's not the only way.
0: We're going to talk about some of the exciting projects you've worked with, but as a way of introduction to that, and as a way of, I we spoke about this backstage about how we can make people listen. I think this is the really scary thing. We live in this era where you, if you listen on any radio station or most of the radio stations, you're hearing the same old thing over and over and over. And I'm reminded of a story, and I just thought of it before, of uh, in Sydney, and there was a busker. I think he was Chinese, but forgive me, I can't remember. But he had a, a one-stringed instrument and he would sit and play. And the uh, Daily Tabloid went to the trouble of taking a photo of this guy and saying, is this the world's worst busker? Based on what? Based on the fact that he sang in a different language. Based on the fact he was being true and doing what he wanted to do. And he was made fun of. And this was then sort of reported on public radio and and they talked about this for a day or so. And I was horrified by this. That there was no understanding, no connection to listening to something that someone was giving. Now, I don't know, I'm not even suggesting he was the best in the world, but what I'm saying is there is a disconnect between how we're listening and what we're being told is good and what is bad. And I think this is a problem. And it, and it feeds into how do we get people to listen to things that are, to some people's ears, alien? They're, they're listening to something. They're saying, that 4-4 that four four isn't there. Those tunings are different to what I'm used to. I'm hearing something in a different language. How do we overcome this? I know it's a big yeah. obstacle, but how do we overcome it?
1: Well, we might not be able to, but um, essentially we have to come back to emotional education and empathy. And without that, we're lost. And we are kind of lost uh, as a civilization because of the emphasis on, on intellectuality and, 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 and not people knowing themselves and, and not really being able to describe what they feel and not being feeling that they are able to talk about what they feel without shame and shame of shame, obviously. And music, you know, hopefully would would help people in that process. But we know that there is a favoritism that goes on, and and it's artificial. All of it's artificial. And again, the the big dirty secret of the music industry is that there's a lot more talented people than they want to let you believe. And so, um, the you know, the, you'll hear people say, "Well, Cuba's a more musical country, or or, or Brazil, or." or Pakistan or Mali, bullshit. There's no country that's more musical than any other country by this much. There are no amusical people any more than there are asexual people. There probably were asexual people. They don't exist, right? There was probably some tribe that didn't like sex. They're not here. So if you're here on the planet Earth, you have to have rhythm to walk. So if you walk, no matter how you walk, you have rhythm. And if you talk, you have to have tone. So the whole idea of deafness, when people say, well, I'm tone deaf, there's no such thing. That was a medical diagnosis that was created. It's all continuums. So you can't speak without being able to use tone. So you might not be as good with tone as Pavarotti, but is somebody able to be musical, and are they musical? Yes, they are, and every place on the planet is. and you know, so much of it, at least in America, I'm not sure here because of the positioning physically, but in America there's such a disregarding of, of Asian music. Um, there's such a over, uh, you know, r- overly reverent attitude oftentimes towards African music, but only certain elements of African music. So I think that this is a big part of the problem. And I think in addition to attention, one of the greatest gifts we can give people is equality, tough-mindedness. So it's great, there's a lot of great artists here, but being from somewhere isn't enough either. They gotta be good, you know? And, And when I say good, what I mean to me is there is no good or bad music, that's that jazz quote. It's just that there's some music that's more honest than others. And honest meaning truthful to that individual. Some of the music I hate most in the world is honest. Some of the most commercial music is very honest. I hate Justin Timberlake, but he's incredibly honest in his music because he is an asshole (laughs) and he doesn't hide it. So his music's much more honest than a lot of other people because of that.
0: Let's focus on some stunning projects, and let's start with the one that you are looking after here at WOM Adelaide, who uh, we saw a performance, I hope you did too, today of the Hanoi Masters, and they'll be performing again tomorrow. Uh, Tell me how you came to be involved with this project, because it touches on what we were talking about before, about uh, not about youth, but about those who have experience and have a story to tell.
1: Yeah, when I was working in the psychiatric emergency room for Oakland, uh, we had a lot of Vietnam War veterans, and we also had a huge influx to Oakland and San Francisco of people that had fled Vietnam after the war. Um, They were called boat people, which is an awful term, but that's what they were called, and uh, so it was a daily occurrence, if not multiple times a day, that we would see American Vietnam War veterans come in with issues with addiction, homelessness, uh, uh, depression, suicidality, psychosis, uh, and obviously they were suffering from PTSD, and it was in the period when there were so many Vietnam War films that it had become a genre, it is a genre, I mean, there's... Full Metal Jacket, and there's Platoon, and Apocalypse Now, and Boys in Company C, and all, all these films, and Born in the USA was an anthem, a m- very misunderstood anthem, but an anthem uh, that was blasting out of every speaker. and And one day I was talking to a guy who came in a lot, um, doing the the standard interview, uh, assessing his danger to himself or others, and. It suddenly occurred to me, I mean, it probably should have occurred to me before, but it suddenly occurred to me there must be somebody sitting somewhere in Vietnam right now doing the same thing essentially with somebody from the other side who had the exact same experience from the other side. And how come we don't think about that? How come we don't talk about that? How come there's so much emphasis and it's so lopsided on only one side of the pain? And that was the seed for doing the project. And we were fortunate enough to... uh, to go there and through the process with the help of Van on to meet more and more musicians and and to hear incredible stories. And as in many of the cases, some of the better, slicker musicians were not necessarily uh, the ones that ended up on the record. And and some of the people that are on the record were people that had not sung in 40 years. Um, and, 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 you know, in many cases, their family members didn't even realize that they'd ever done so, that they'd ever been a musician in any way.
0: Can you tell me that story, because I read that about the performer who hadn't performed in 40 years and stepped up and did it and then became quite stoic and l- locked it down again afterwards.
1: Yeah, there's there's a vocal performance on the record, um, A Road to Home, where a, a woman who had been made the the village leader in the north in her village uh, when she was 19 years old, which meant they gave her an AK-14 and said, "Do." do this, handle it. It's, it's your village. And and fortunately for her she didn't have to do a lot in her particular village, but she was given this responsibility to defend her village without any training other than here's an automatic weapon, you protect the village. And uh, obviously she went through more than she probably acknowledges. I think just the stress of that of that burden and that responsibility would be a lot. And she sat down and sang the song and it's One of the most complete, amazing, layered, you know, vulnerable vocal performances I've ever heard. And it was one of those things you could feel, everybody that was present there in the room, family members of hers. And and, uh, and then the minute she was done, she just, the drapes just went down. It was just a five minute window. And she went and she sat in the corner and she wouldn't talk to anybody for three hours. She was reading a newspaper looking extremely angry. I'm sure what she was feeling was much more complex than that, but that was what, what she'd put up afterwards. But there was this five-minute window where she had not sang in 40 years, where it's one of the most beautiful vocal performances I've ever heard, and one that transcends language, because you don't need to know what she's singing about to understand the depth of it, I think.
0: And, th- and this touches on the whole listening with empathetic ears to to experience. You don't need to know the language. And I think you've mentioned once before, I heard you say something along the lines of, you don't know half the words to your favourite English song. So, you know, we don't often take on board lyrics. And so it's about listening to that experience and and, and feeling it. And and certainly in the recordings of the Hanover Masters, you can feel that grief, that loss that is trapped within those
1: songs. Yeah, people love to say, well, it's, it's hard. Like, whenever it's something that, that requires effort, you know, in relationships, uh, they'll talk about, it's hard. When, when when somebody is depressed, they'll say, I don't know. I don't know means they don't want to talk about their feelings. It do- doesn't mean that they don't know what they feel. It means they don't want to know what they feel. And so what we get so often is, you know, a, a situation where somebody's singing and, and y- you know, you you have this sense of... of, of what's being felt, even if you don't know the words. And the thing is, is that, again, as you said in English, most of the time people don't know or they may have misinterpreted what the words are anyway. And even their favorite song, most people can maybe sing you the first verse, oftentimes only the first line. Usually they can do the first verse, the chorus, and then the first line of the second verse, and then they start <laughs> going into you know nonsense, you know, because they don't know what the rest of the song is. And then they'll pick up a word here or there. Um, and so I don't think language is as much of an obstacle as it's made to be. But one of the things that I found pretty fascinating and reassuring is that when a song sounds incredibly profound and then the lyrics are translated later, the lyrics are almost always incredibly profound and poetic. I always fear they won't be. I always fear, like, oh, my God, may, you know that you're going to get a translation of the song that's so beautiful and it's going to be like filled with hate speech or something. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Um, but instead, usually, you the translation is, is, is something of incredibly literate beauty.
0: The other thing that I found incredibly fascinating, and I was really excited to see the instruments today when the Hanaloon Masters played, and as someone who's heard so many sounds and produced so many sounds, I can only imagine when you hear some of these instruments that have been hidden away, it must have been very exciting. And the one, we have an example that was performed today, um, and I've I've given a CD at the back, which is the the track, The Wind Blows It Away, featuring the kanai, which is the mouth violin. When I heard that for the first time, it blew my head off because there are kids out there with software and all manner of electronic music trying to emulate this. And this is an instrument that is how old, do you know? Ninth century. It's incredible. Can we listen to that now perhaps? Please.
1: It's going to take a second. Okay. That's okay. Whenever it comes on. It's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, this instrument that can you can I we we when we heard that, we knew that it was so futuristic yet so ancient at the same time. Mm-hmm. And similarly, the monochord that they also use is a whammy bar, and that, mm. that, that dates back to around the same time. And it's incredible, you know, when you think about the fact that Eddie Van Halen and all the hair metal people and all the surf guitarists in California were, were beat to the punch by over a thousand <laughs> years, uh, by a culture that is disregarded or not regarded as musical by most people in the Western world, most people in California, makes it all the more amazing. How are we looking? Yeah, that's okay.
0: That's okay. Well, we can sort of describe it. it it's it's slightly vocoderish in sound because the, the voice is being channeled through yeah. the string, which is held in the mouth, which is attached. Uh, the one thing I wanted to know is the 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 variation is that through the playing, or is the vocalist also sort of uh yeah
1: mouth formation, yeah. Uh, the bowing uh, I- as well, and the and the head acts as the resonator. So the mm. skull is actually the the soundboard in the same way that the, the body of the guitar would be the soundboard.
0: Yeah, just I- incredible sound. And, and again, to see you, b- you brought up the Whammy Bar, which I was watching today. And that was that, if you were there, the moment when uh, the the crowd was split in two and were asked to sing the line, and just to watch it was just absolutely magic. Um, the uh, Some of the other projects, I'm looking at the time, and I'm sure there might be some people who might like, like to ask some questions. Now, I'm going to struggle with this name, and do forgive me, but last year an album came out that absolutely blew me away, and that was... Sanko Namchilak I uh, said yeah. it wrong
1: Sanko Namchilak
0: Yeah tell me about how you are involved in this project this is a vocalist that has a five octave range and there's some incredible loops and sounds that have incorporated into this project you're going to explain it better than I but it's certainly a, an amazing listen
1: Well um the record was Sanko Namchilak she's the you know one of the leading female uh tube and throat singers traditionally it's was something that only the males were allowed to do, and uh, she has made around 60 albums, and uh, most of them are not as good as they could be, it's kind of that idea of over recording, and so we did this record together and we had the the rhythm section from Tenerawan, and the beautiful thing that happened was that they're both nomadic tribes from from different continents, and to have them get together and find a middle ground I think was the most beautiful thing, so about A third of the songs sound like Tanerwan with her singing, and about a third of the songs sound like her with Tanerwan playing with her, and then there's a third that doesn't sound like anything else. And that's what you hope for. And in general, I don't believe in hyphenation and mashups. I believe there's far too much of that. I believe that after the incredibly explosive creativity of the mid-20th century, uh, from the 80s onward we haven't had really new musical forms we've had hyphenated forms and when i was in san francisco as a teenager and growing up that was the thing is the bands they 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 weren't that creative so they just had to in a very consumeristic way take different elements and put them together and that's that was their form of creativity it was like shopping so they'd be like we're a thrash surf soul rap band you know it's like well that that's that's combinatory creativity. That's exactly what toddlers do. They take peas and mashed potatoes and they put them together. And that's creativity. Creativity is beautiful, but creativity is not necessarily art. And so I think the idea of just because you put two different cultures together that that's going to result in something good is not always going to be the case. But in the case with Sanko, it, it it was. And, and, and she's another one where as a traditionally experimental person had become very standardized about how she approached experimentation. And so to free her from the standardization of experimentation to actually truly experiment was a beautiful thing to see. Because if you unleash somebody with that kind of voice, with that kind of creativity, with a five-octave voice, they can potentially do things that, that not everybody could.
0: And you recorded that incredibly quickly, didn't you? It was something like five and a half hours. You. That, that came together.
1: Yeah, we did a double album, in five and a half hours, at a very fancy studio in France that's owned by a German engineer. Um, and uh, this is a guy who normally spends more than that to get the sound of a hi hat. And so we opened up the doors, which flipped him out because he'd spent huge amounts of money to uh, isolate sound. And we opened up the doors to let the sound from the outside in. And that angered him. And then um, when he came the next day, he said, so, did, how'd it go? And I said, yeah, went good. And what happened? You know, he, he wants these things to be a disaster. And it's like, well, we recorded, you know, two albums worth of music in five and a half hours. And, you know, it was, uh, I, I was very hard on his German mind. <laughs> Nothing against Germany, but
0: that's a wonderful thing isn't it when you see someone like that that has these expectations and and works to a certain standard Would, uh, i mean i've heard many people say like you, I, today i spoke to bella B- B- Giberto and she said that she recorded an album and it, it 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 was too short a time and that for her was a three-month period and that's not a criticism i've heard of joe henry uh, say that if something's not locked in the bag after six days it's not worth it so uh, when someone comes in with that idea and you've knocked out a double album five and a half hours i think that's fantastic um so, that's a studio environment. You sort of took it apart a bit by opening the doors up. Talk about going and recording in the uh, the context of someone's home. So, the, the Malawi Mouse Boys, you went to them with equipment and record. Was that difficult to get them... You, you've spoken before about leaving the recorder rolling, but was that a hard thing to capture the essence of their sound?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you know any of live recordings to work obviously you need to be dealing with people that are committed to the process and that are fairly exceptional vocally they can't be they can't be you know someone who has really difficulty singing on in tune all the time in that continuum uh, but i prefer to record outdoors i prefer to record without overdubs it's not the only way to record but i believe ultimately it's it's a beautiful way to record because things happen that you can't plan and they almost always work. Um, in On the second Zomba Prison Project record that we did in May, uh, th- it's incredibly beautiful song that was written that morning for us to record about the death of his wife. And in the early part of the song, there's a car horn in the distance and it sounds totally planned. And it, it's incredible how often when there's sounds, that occur on a recording that aren't supposed to be there, they almost always work as a part. Much better than any part anybody could spend three months or a million dollars trying to create. Um, and so babies, kids, animals, they're awesome. Making a record with these bats would be fucking great, <laughs> right? Th- I'm d- I guarantee you that th- if you heard the bats on the record, I- they'd be adding to the record. And most of the time you wouldn't hear them. People are obsessed with all this you know, fear And they want this, you know, sound that's going to be so clean. And it's like they're missing the the most important element, which is human energy and and emotion. And and without that, it's fairly meaningless.
0: And I don't know if you experienced today that one of the first concerts up here at the Novatech stage was uh, a group from Wales in Ninebark. And the uh, Flying Foxes were up there and they just started. To, to react to the first sounds of the day. And it was hypnotic to hear the interaction. And And what you're saying is absolutely true. I was sitting there thinking, I wish someone, and I hope someone did record it, but I'm sure they'll try and filter it out, which is a terrible <laughs> yeah, thing.
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah, they probably, not like it.
0: Uh, I'm looking at the old clock on the wall and I'm, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to talk in just a moment. Um, I guess two questions, one is, of, and there's many other projects that we haven't mentioned, but is there one you'd like to talk about that was important to you that we haven't mentioned so far?
1: Oh, I don't know, I mean, I t- for me, I, most of them hold a special place in my heart. I, I just feel that music should be done for its own intrinsic value. And if it's done for those reasons, then then it can never fail. And so I only do things that I believe in and I, it, I'm not right, it's just it's just my perspective. And I, and I refuse to do things I don't believe in, um, and uh, I'm very lucky because I'm I'm not beholden to that. And I I never want to be. Uh, I don't have any real material goals, and I just love music. And I think if you put love first, you can rarely go wrong. So if you love music, and you love the people you're working with, and you want to achieve intimacy with them through music, that it can lead to beautiful things.
0: Has there been an example, and I don't expect you to to say what it would be, but I'm just wondering, uh, have there been examples that have just been too hard to process that you've wanted to commit to recording but it just hasn't connected?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think you have to, if you're gonna record anything, you have to record it with a willingness to do nothing with it. And that's the problem with the commercial system is, you know, it's decided in advance. We're gonna spend three months, we're gonna spend this amount of money to put out a record. It's like, well, no, do a record and then Put it out, if it should be put out, and if it shouldn't be put out, don't put it out and 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 so you know I, I there's a lot of stuff I refuse to put out, and that that's the that's where you know sometimes archivists and 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 that school of thought is very different than my own is that is that I don't feel like everything needs to be documented and and the whole idea of you know people trying to figure out influence, you can't figure out influence. Like it's, it's all mythology, it's, 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 it's all soft science. The best music comes from inside the individual. And, and what that means is, is that I can go back, reverse engineering, do everything Miles Davis ever did in his lifetime, or try to listen to everything he ever listened to in his lifetime, and I will never play like Miles Davis. But that doesn't mean I can't be a musical person. So it's this idea that input is going to equal output, and it, it just doesn't work that way. And, and so there's all this concern about, you know, like, where did this music come from? And, and, and it, it tends to get referenced a lot, again, by 20th century American music. So people, when they don't know what else to call something, they call it blues. They say, oh, it's blues. And it's, it's not usually. What it is usually, like in the case of Cambodia, the project, um, is people living in a delta area that are farmers not that surprisingly, might play music that might be similar to other people living in an adult area that are farmers. Not because they ever listened to them, because they didn't. You know, there's this idea like, oh, they listen to American blues. No, they did not listen to American blues, right? Or the Malaya Mouse Boys, there's this guy that wrote a review and he said, they're influenced by Mento. Does anybody here know what Mento is? These are music lovers. Nobody here knows what Mento is. No one knows what Mento is. There's like 50 people in the world that know what Mento is. And he thinks someone in the poorest country in the world without electricity that don't listen to recorded music were influenced by Mento. But it's just so much easier to believe that than to believe that, oh, no, these are guys that are farmers living in a very pre-television manner without electricity, without running water, and that therefore the music might reference back to earlier eras in a parallel way, or in an accidental fashion.
0: I'll, a quick last question, and then I'll open it to the floor. I'm interested in the process of coming here to Wom Adelaide, and uh, 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 I've just thought of this question now, and I don't—I'm I, uh, sure it won't sound rude, and I'm not meaning it in that way. But yeah. you've spoken about it being a ghost in the process, and you've, you're here with the Hanoi Masters, and you're hoping that they will—a bit like we spoke about Tenere One—get up on a stage at a set time and just do it. How difficult is that then for you? as a producer, to be that there to... Wh- what are you offering them in that moment to be able to be the best they can?
1: Well, I mean, I, th- I, I think that, that you owe it to other people, uh, meaning the people that are here, the people that come, whether it's one person or whether it's a 1,000 people, to reward their attention. And I think to not do that is the ultimate arrogance. Um, so I'm not defending somebody who doesn't make that effort. Uh, I think ultimately... People need to have integrity, and that is to, if they agree to do something, then do it. And the big thing we have in the modern society, because it's so divided and individuated uh, and ego-oriented, is that usually you have people in all kinds of employment now where you, you, they work with the public, and you walk in, and there's this instant confusion because you feel like you're working for them. It's like, oh, shit, I, th- I thought you worked for me. You know? I'm I'm flying on your airline why are you talking to me like it's confusing because their ego is more important to them than anything else and and so what they want is they basically want to pay be paid to provide services for another individual and to put that person's needs ahead of their own but they don't do that they want to be paid to do that and not do it at the same time and I think that that's a big problem in our society and I think as performers it's the same way if you don't want to perform then don't perform and if you do want to perform, then give 100% if there's one person there, if there's 1,000 people there, out of respect to those individuals for their time and their attention. Because attention is something that people have always been starved for, but now more than ever. I mean, people's attention is so fractured and, 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 and so stolen away by devices and, and, and not living in the moment um, that I think it's important that we don't ignore that and don't ignore each other.
0: I'm looking at the clock and I'm aware that there's probably only room for one question. I'm assuming that your book is here, How Music Dies or Lives, yeah. is available if yeah, anyone yeah. would like to come and yeah, have out. it autographed. and So perhaps you can ask uh, uh, questions by coming to the front and speaking to Ion if that's okay? Yeah, that'd be great, yeah. Ian, um, thank you so much for your time. Really fascinated with your process and the way you've shone a light on some really amazing music and oh, well I'm looking you. forward to future projects that you'll be working on. Is there something ready to come soon? Uh,
1: yeah, no, I mean I, I mean, hope, hopefully there'll be more, I don't know, but uh, as long as there's things that are inspiring, but we do have a really amazing project coming out um, in in June uh, the Tanzania Albinism Collective, which is a record with 100% uh, non-musicians meaning people that had not played music before and what we didn't know about that population was not only had they been persecuted so badly but they had been forbidden to sing even in church in most cases so to go from that to what we experienced with them musically uh, that for me is my personal taste is one of the best records musically i've ever worked on it's more avant-garde than a lot of things and a lot of people might not like it but but uh I feel that the music has to be there and 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 so sometimes people will say, like about Zomba prison, Oh, well, it's a good story, no, 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 it's good music, it's good melodies and and if it weren't, the story's not enough and shouldn't be put out and For me, this project, the Tanzania Albinism Collective, is the same thing, yet the music is difficult, and I fear that that will cause some people to dismiss the music and not realize how awesome it is, how original it is and how striking the voices are of these individuals that had been discouraged from expressing themselves bodily through dance and and vocally with music before.
0: Well, let's hope there are people with willing ears and open hearts to listen to the project. Sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Ion. You can catch the Hanoi Masters tomorrow. I did have my little book with me, but as usual, I've misplaced it. So just check your...